0: The sports desk of the Lubbock Avalanche Journal and Red Raiders.com. Here's your look at all things Texas Tech sports. Now, here's the Red Raider Podcast.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Avalanche Journal's weekly Texas Tech football slash sports podcast. I'm Don Williams, AJ Media, Texas Tech football beat writer, joined as always by AJ Media Sports Editor Carlos Silva, Jr. Coming to you um, a few days after uh, Texas Tech's 41-38 victory over Iowa State. And a couple days before the Red Raiders play uh, number 9 Oklahoma State. It's going to be a 7 p.m. game Saturday night at Jones AT&T Stadium. Uh, Red Raiders uh, seniors to be recognized before that game, final home game of the season for Tech. But uh, Tech goes into it with... Uh, A a little better outlook was the victory over Iowa State. Uh, Carlos clinched bowl eligibility for the Red Raiders. They got the sixth win, and they will have a postseason game now for the first time since 2017. So that kind of, uh, again, changes the outlook uh, here in November.
0: I think it's interesting when you think of the last couple of years, Don, and I don't know if maybe you've kind of reflected on this, but it seems like every one of these maybe – November games or just the end of the year games have either been, well, are they going to re-up Cliff Kingsbury? Are they going to re-up Matt Wells? Or is this coach going to get fired? And now it's like you kind of already know the end game with the bowl game, but you still have two more games to play. So certainly you can improve that being Texas Tech, your status or the bowl you're going to get by getting some big victories over the last couple couple weekends. But I think uh, more importantly – I think just being able to get boiled, well, not only that, but then just in a, in a contest where you really showed a little bit of grit, uh, something that hasn't been seen before. There was a lot of adversity. I'm sure people can kind of take, take that as what you may uh, from that contest. But uh, just to see, at least according to Texas Tech Athletics, shout out to Matt uh, Burkholder. 62-yard game winner is the longest in uh, NCAA history, so that's kind of a cool deal that a lot of people got to see. I was not. uh, I was doing some other things, so I will be one of the probably very few that will admit that they were actually there. I'm sure you saw how many people were there, Don. But just from your perspective, just being able to see Texas Tech kind of close out a game like that to where it seemed like the momentum was going their way early on, then all of a sudden Iowa State starts to claw its way back, ties it up, and then – I guess I want to say it's under two minutes, and uh, Donovan Smith got them enough to where Jonathan Garibay had about 62 yards a leg. Yeah, they took over with
1: one minute left and uh, ran you know, handful of plays. Donovan Smith completed four short passes, also had a little short run, an eight-yard run in there as well. Um, and that set up the field goal, put it down at the, uh, at, the at your own 48-yard line. And then Garibay kicked it through with plenty of leg to spare. As you said, uh, according to uh, Texas Tech, it was the longest game-winning field goal, I believe, with a minute or less left in the game in FBS history. It was the tied for second-longest field goal in Big 12 history, and it was the longest in a game between two Big 12 teams. Um, and that was a game that was – you know, Tech got off to a great start, led 28-7, 28-7 early, 31-14 to at halftime. Uh, then this game kind of turned the way some have for the Red Raiders, kind of like that Kansas State game where then they had to fight and scratch and claw just to hold on, make a uh, stop late. And, you know, one of the things that maybe gets overlooked a little bit with uh, uh, with Donovan Smith's performance, with uh, Garibay's big kick, is that the defense made a stop uh, there at the end to give them the opportunity to 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 have that game winning drive because Iowa State was deep in tech territory and on the third down Brock Purdy runs right and Colin Schooler Colin Schooler's initial move was to the middle of the field and Colin mm-hmm. actually turned to one eighty and hustle back to uh, hustle back to near the sideline outside the numbers to uh, run Brock Purdy out of bounds and couple of yards short of the sticks. And so that forced uh, Iowa state to settle for the game time field goal. I mean, if he gets the first down there, then they got uh, first down, it's the uh, you know, close to the 10 yard line.
0: It's yeah, certainly a different conversation. Absolutely. You know, a
1: little over a minute left opportunity to go score the touchdown in the final minute to win it. Um, so much, you know, but so, so much happened over the course of this game. Uh, it's, a, a bunch of different things to talk about. And you know, one of the, the I guess the, the biggest, hottest topic of conversation is simply um, on Wednesday of this week, Big 12 issued a public reprimand and a suspension for Brian Jensen, Texas Tech's play by play announcer, and John Harris, the Red Raiders radio uh, color analyst. And so neither of those guys will be in the booth calling the game on Saturday night, which is kind of an unfortunate turn of events. But I thought it was, um, I thought, I thought it was overreaction on the part of the Big 12. But I disagree with the folks who uh, – I'm not a big uh, – the officials uh, cheated us uh, person. I ten, I ten, mm-hmm. my, my position generally is uh, who knows more about the rules, the guys who actually go to the clinics – and uh, spend a lot of the off-season studying it and in group settings with the coordinators officials and getting uh, rulings and interpretations handed down from the NCAA uh, or the guy in uh, Section 116, Row 39. (laughs) So uh, I, I didn't definitively see any bad call that I thought that they missed Uh, there's, there, there's a lot of borderline calls. And I think that was kind of the, uh, that was the unusual circumstances that you had a lot of calls that were, that were kind of close and you could see them being ruled adjudicated either way. Um, but, uh, some of the outrage and hysteria over this is, uh, kind of beyond the pale.
0: Uh, I, I I tend to agree with you. I think the one thing that really set the tone for this whole deal, Don, was the fact that they didn't review that first uh, interception, if I'm not mistaken, that went to Travis Koontz. And I think that's what really started it, whether or not it's a catch or not. And I'll let you make your point a little bit. But whether or not it's a catch or not, it was never explained to the fans, I suppose, which typically does happen if there's going to be a review or not. But uh, feel free to kind of add, add to that. Well, maybe so, but but here's the
1: thing with the play with Travis Koontz, and that is that he did not complete the catch. And I'm going to go to the rule book here and read a couple of paragraphs for what constitutes a catch. And one of the paragraphs is that to catch a ball means that a player maintains control of the ball long enough to enable – uh, that player to perform an act common to the game, i.e., long enough to pitch or hand the ball, advance it, avoid or ward off an opponent, etc. Um, another paragraph says if a player goes to the ground in the act of well, let me stop. What I just read that he has to not only he has to uh, control the ball long enough to enable a player to perform an act common to the game.
0: Such a football game. move for for it's those hand that the that, ball. that are aware of that.
1: Long enough to pitch or hand the ball, advance it, avoid or ward off an opponent. You've heard like Dean Blandino say, become a runner. Wait, yeah. So he clearly did not meet that requirement. Mm-hmm. Here's another uh, element to it. If a player goes to the ground in the act of catching a pass, the player must maintain complete and continuous control of the ball throughout the process of contacting the ground, which clearly he didn't maintain complete mm-hmm. Uh uh, control of the ball throughout the process of contacting the ground. Cause as soon as he hit the ground, the ball bounced up. And some folks would say, well, ground can't cause a fumble, but it was not a fumble because he didn't have control of the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a pass that was not completed. And so in that regard, it's no different than a ball going through a receiver's hands and being caught by a player behind him for an interception.
0: So what you're saying is Des Bryant did not catch it.
1: <laughs> so, so that's the thing.
0: So here's the thing. The
1: reason it's not reviewed, yeah. I think is, it was clearly not a cat. You know, it was an easy call for the officials. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a play that needed to be reviewed. Now, whether uh, and whether that needed to be explained to the fans, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, it lengthens the, it lengthens the game, but it was not. But it, that was probably the of the plays that were the most controversial and got talked about the most. That was the one that people clearly failed to understand. Clearly, don't know the rule. If you're complaining. Mm-hmm. Because he didn't, he didn't complete the catch, and he didn't survive the ground.
0: So, since we're in this discussion, and, and again, I was joking, obviously, with does Bryant catch it or not? But I mean, it, it well, a point of, of keeping control and kind of all those things. So,
1: well, and actually, I, I'm glad you brought that up because here, here's the other thing: is um, the game has evolved in such a way that it's a lot harder to get credit for a catch now than it was in years past because. I go back to I think about Super Bowl twelve, yeah, Super Bowl twelve, Dallas Cowboys, Denver Broncos. Late in that game, Butch Johnson runs a, a deep route. He catches the ball. He tumbles over the goal line. He, he briefly has the has two hands on the ball as he's going into the end zone, and rolls over, and the ball is laying on the ground, and it's a touchdown. Mm-hmm. But in this day and age, it would, it would be nowhere close to a touchdown. I, I doubt that it would even be reviewed. I th- the officials on the field, if that same player made today, uh, the officials on the field probably would simply call it an incomplete pass. And it certainly wouldn't uh, pass review in today's game. Um, you know, for, for a good portion of our, our lifetimes, um, plays like that, if you had two ends of the ball at some point, they would say be generous and say it was a catch. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, it's simply not that way.
0: Well, that and the fact that you could literally go frame by frame now compared to, like you said, back in the day when it was literally just a bang-bang play. And you kind of, as you just mentioned, Don, you kind of give them the benefit of the doubt sometimes. And I think that's the other thing. And we've had this discussion before when we kind of get into these deals, but the fans have a lot more access and information that when – then you know like you said back to that super bowl so now as you said fan in section 23 row 13 feels like this was a wrong call whereas you said these guys do this for a living and they kind of know what's going on and i suppose i can look at it and say well a lot of calls didn't go your way well you know you still won you know like that's the other thing too is like you still found a way to win and this does happen in in the, the, the age of sports, sometimes calls don't go against you. You have adversity and Texas tech showed they were able to do that. But uh, what, one more thought, I guess, on that, Don, what were your initial impressions as to moving a couple of sections to the left one, I guess, to, I guess, stop a bottle being thrown because they're now closer to the players or I guess, whoever they were trying to throw it at. Cause I did see a bottle. Yeah, being was, thrown. You
1: know, there, there was, there was an empty bottle. After, you know, you got seven and a half minutes left in the game. Dadrian Taylor-Demerson uh, makes what appears to the naked eye to be an interception. You look at it again uh, from the end zone view on replay, mm-hmm. and the ball moved and touched it mm-hmm. and maybe helps him uh, secure that interception. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and so then the fans are going nuts. And uh, 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 empty what appeared to be an empty water bottle flew out of the stands. Uh, it looked like it was directed at the uh, headlinesman or line judge. Mm-hmm. Landed near him, landed in front of him. And so uh, they uh, stopped play for a period of, I don't know, close to five five minutes or close yeah, to. Yeah,
0: that was pretty uh, long. To, uh,
1: to direct security and tech people to uh, move, the to, to vacate sections 22 and 23. Now, what they accomplished by that? I'm not really sure because pretty much everybody that was in Section 22, yeah, <laughs> Section yeah. 23, uh, uh, one of those groups went north and one of those groups went south and they just simply relocated to the adjacent section. So I'm not sure what they that they achieved much by that,
0: I guess. And I, I know you've spoken to a couple of officials just to kind of get some clarification on some things, but. Uh, have you ever seen something like that and do you feel like that almost sets a precedent now to where referees can kind of or officials i i should say can maybe do that later in a game and is that i
1: mean well didn't they do it? i mean they did something similar in an SEC game this year if i remember didn't they i think
0: uh, i mean you, you would have to remind me but i'm i'm not aware cuz you obviously watch the Tennessee bit i do uh
1: yeah i mean it's not it's not it's not unprecedented and like i okay. said Happened to elsewhere. Uh, something similar has happened to elsewhere this year. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I. Oh, well. I'm trying. Was it Ole Miss when they were throwing the golf ball at Lane Kiffin?
1: Yeah, I think that was. I think that's okay. What,
0: yeah, because yeah, I mean, it, at the end of the day, obviously you want to catch the person that does it, but if you can't, you obviously have to, you know, punish some other people. But I think at the end of the day, it was just a wild game, and uh, just to kind of get some perspective from you, Dodds, that you've covered Texas Tech as long as I've been alive here, and I'm looking at some of the front pages, the number one win, the burned orange and i've seen some of the comments from twitter and some people that have emailed or left voicemails i don't know how to word this so feel free to maybe reword it or just kind of bear with me on this where does this rank in terms of memorable victories for texas tech i know it's just your run of the mill not a win over a ranked team you know all this other stuff but just in terms of where they've been over the last several years and just to kind of get a a victory like that, not only that, but they're just improbable with the 62-yard field goal.
1: Yeah, I think it, that element, um, to me, it's the most dramatic. I think it's the most dramatic ending uh, in terms of a vi- in terms of a victory, in terms of a Tech victory. I think it's the tr- most, most dramatic ending since the Crabtree catch game. Yeah. And that's not to say that it is on any level equivalent to Tech beating the number one ranked Texas to go to, to improve to at the time 9 and0 oh, yeah and it was so, just an
0: expiring
1: clock essentially. you know the, the, the stakes of course are not near were not nearly that high yeah but in terms of just an incredible uh, realization of what you just witnessed uh, I think it was the most uh, dramatic finish to a tech win since that game which was which was 13 years ago. Because, I mean, <laughs> let's face it, we're n- Carlos, you and I, uh, I don't think in our in our lifetimes we're, we're ever again going to see a 62-yard game-winning field goal. So, we'll, we'll see a kick from 62 yards, but I don't think we'll see a walk-off 62-yard game winner.
0: No, absolutely. And then not only that, but then even just to get it in position to do that, too. Like, it's just it, a lot of things had to go right. And. And let's just kind of give credit where it's due, but that could have been from '67 if need be. He had a couple yards on that kick, so
1: uh-huh. yep, yep. And um, as we kind of shift uh, to to a kind of a a similar tangent, but you touched on it, and we asked uh, Sonny Cumbie and some of the players this week about um, getting yourself in position to do that because mm-hmm. at the end of the first half. Uh, tech kicked a field goal, and uh, I don't have the play-by-play up in front of me, but that was, I think, I want to say took over with maybe a minute and 11 seconds left.
0: Less yeah, than that was the first time. I, I can kind of babble if you want to look, but, I mean, it's essentially when Donovan Smith really kind of cemented himself as, okay, this is our guy that can make plays. He can scramble around, make some nice little tosses to find guys like Miles Price or. Dalton rigged in at some of the age positions. I think that was the one thing that I kind of noticed doing some of a rewatch Don, I don't know if you did too, but they attacked the middle of the field against Iowa state, which is something we haven't seen. It's usually just been go left, go right, quick little, you know, gains kind of like runs, not necessarily going over the top. And I thought that was a a nice uh, wrinkle that Sonny Cumbie kind of brought to this offense because it's been a while. And I know you've mentioned it, that not only does does the defense stop Brees Hall, he did have the three touchdowns, but to keep them a 51 yards is something. But then the other thing is just the way that Donovan Smith, a redshirt freshman, really had success against an Iowa State double cloud defense that we've always talked about every year. that has shut down a guy named Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, so
1: let's go back to uh, I found what I was looking for, uh, what I was talking about a moment ago. Mm-hmm. How you know efficient they were on the drives at, at the end of the first half. So they took over with a minute left. Ran six plays, got 48 yards, kicked a field goal. His time ran out. End of the game, took over with one minute left, ran seven plays, uh, 31 yards, and kicked a game-winning field goal. So I thought, you know, good po- good uh, uh, poise and, and really, you know, an efficient job by by Donovan Smith. Both of those drives, as I said, you know what they didn't run the two minute offense during the first mm-hmm. half of the game. They ran the one minute offense during the first half of the game, and they did it effectively. and And, and Smith was impressive in how he did that. Now, I I, I, I want to see it though for for an extended period of time before I say he's clearly the guy. Um, and I, I go all the way back now. I, qualify this by saying, I go all the way back to a couple of years ago saying that uh, he's the quarterback, of the, he was the quarterback of the future. People who had mm-hmm. seen both him and Maverick McIver, you know, at a time when McIver was regarded as, you know, mm-hmm. a, a much more prominent recruit, I said, people who have seen both tell me that Donovan Smith is is the more impressive of those two and more likely to emerge. So it wasn't, so. so it's not surprising to me to me to see him do this with that said, though, I think it's premature to say that quarterback is settled for now. On. I think, I think people are wrong. If you're uh, writing off Tyler Shuck and thinking that he can't get the job back because again, Darwin has one big one, one big impressive victory now, but we all know that it's what have you done for me lately? How is he going to look on Saturday night? Um, because because Oklahoma State defensively leads the FBS in sacks. I think they're tied for second in the FBS and tackles for loss for get mm-hmm. loss per game. Uh, their rush defense they've allowed only one team more than 140 yards this year. Bijan Robinson is the only running back who's broke 100 against Oklahoma State's defense this year. So uh, those guys really have it going defensively every bit as much as Iowa State did, has had. And so he's got to back it up by doing it again Saturday
0: night. Now I will say the other thing too about uh, my statement is the fact that now teams have tape on Donovan Smith. He's not just coming in for, you know, a couple, couple plays of a series. He's played a full game. Teams can kind of look at what he's done and try to, Take away some of the things that he has been doing well, so I, I will give you that. But at least from a perspective of, and I think Sonny said this after the game too, is like he's a pretty good third string quarterback, ain't he? So
1: yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that that up, though, because to follow up your point, that teams now have, you know, they got some film on him. One of the things that um that you they impressed you in real time on Saturday. And that you saw that you see again when you go back and watch the game is Donovan Smith obviously keeps plays alive and can make things happen and find receivers when he scrambles. He did, he was impressive in how he did that. But he also threw a couple of passes that were pretty risky because he threw back from you know, the numbers toward mm-hmm. the middle field. And it looks great when you complete that pass. But uh, if I'm Oklahoma State's defensive staff, I'm saying, man, this kid will uh, – he'll kind of throw – he'll throw – he's not afraid to throw a risky pass. Uh, let's be aware of that. And, uh, uh, and when they are doing the scramble drill, you know, know that he will throw it he, – he can he, he'll throw it into traffic back over the middle of the field. And we'll see, can, can he continue to do that? Or is he going to have, have a game where he gets a couple of those picked off? And, and it doesn't look so good.
0: I'm interested to see how those things happen, Don, because I think that's something to just be said, because I know the term stacking success has been said by Wells, and I think the one thing that people may remember or they probably forget just because he's not kind of uh, you know sight unseen, now he's not there anymore, but Texas Tech is not one back-to-back Big 12 games, and there's a big opportunity here for Texas Tech, and not only that, but just in a big way. So I think that's something to – to kind of look at now in three years, obviously with a new interim head football coach, Joey McGuire's going to obviously take over when the season uh, ends after the bowl, the bowl game. But I think it's just something to show at least from a player's perspective, things are different. And I think that's what that game last weekend had done. I know I said that after the Houston game and things obviously changed uh, with uh, Matt Wells, uh, not having a job anymore with Texas tech, but I think to to just bring up the players and the fact that Sonny has said that these guys know what they are. They are talented. They know what they are and they are talented. And I think right now is really where they're going to be able to show, are they a winning team? Are they a team that can get to a bowl, which they certainly have done, but now do you try and get a better bowl? And I think that's really the focus for some of these guys Just talking to them afterward. I believe it was a DeMarcus Fields and, um, thousand Dean that we spoke to earlier this week and, Both of them were very quick to say that the one thing they want to do is get two more wins. And I know Keith Patterson said that last week. This whole team believes they can win three. So there's still that possibility.
1: Yeah, he was pretty prophetic because, you know, last week uh, when this team was five and four, Keith Patterson said, uh, you know, he was still – he was focused on – Given everything he could for these guys, and talked specifically about the seniors and talked more precisely about the seniors who could have left after last season, became Mm -hmm. decided to stay guys like schooler and Jeffers and Fields, guys like that who had that extra year and decided to to use it instead of turning pro. Um, and he said, you know, they believe that they can, uh, uh, you know, and he says these guys can still win eight games and play for a ninth. And guess what? They believe it. And I don't think there was a whole lot of belief on the outside, but they certainly showed that they believed it. And now they have uh, now they have six. But I think it's significant that they you know they still need to win one more, and more uh, or otherwise they're going to Texas going to have another losing season that which would be six years in a row. Because if you lose out from here on out, including a bowl game, you finish six and seven. Mm-hmm which is what they did in 2017, went to a bowl game, still finished below 500. So they still got to win one more uh, to have the first winning season since 2015. Um, and, you know, there's a lot to play for because you certainly can kind of change. I think you can, can cha- kind of change the tra- trajectory of the program if you win another game because you know, now you have the big win against Iowa State you have opportunities for big wins remaining with uh, Oklahoma state being ranked number nine, nine and one Baylor being ranked number 11 um, and whoever, and then of course, whoever you play in a bowl game. So I don't think they're uh, if they lose out from here, I don't think it will be because they are not still uh, dedicated or because they have head in the clouds. I think, It'll simply because because they got beat by their teams. Um,
0: not only that, and not only that done, but then Oklahoma State has stuff to play for too. They're looking to be in the Big Twelve championship game, so certainly Tech and college football playoff, yeah, that too outside chance, but but a chance. Yeah, so certainly a lot to play for for Texas Tech and all those things. I guess uh, just from your perspective, I know we talked a little bit about Oklahoma State. Certainly a big win over Iowa State. I guess just uh, kind of looking at what I what Iowa State's done and what Oklahoma State's done, I guess what's been the the thing that you could say if Texas Tech does this, they're gonna be in a good position to win, minus the fact that protecting Donovan is probably number one when you got a team coming in with 15 sacks.
1: Well I think obviously I think last year or last last week's win, there's nothing more important about that than the fact that she faced you know an all-American running back, a guy who was a Dope Walker Award finalist in and, uh, and Brees Hall and he carried 18 times on Saturday and 10 of those times he held him to two yards or less. actually or let me kind of break it down this way. He had 18 carries. Uh, 12 of those carries he gained three yards or less. and 10 of those carry, 10 of those 18 he gained two yards or less. And three of those 18, you actually tackled him for a loss. And uh, I don't want to spend the time to go back and look it up, but I would be – if if you asked me to bet one way or another, I would bet that that's the first time in his college career that Brees Hall's ever been tackled in the backfield three times in one game. So that that was the most important element uh, last Saturday, and I think the most important element this Saturday – is going to be the same thing because you got Jalen Warren coming in now. He's 5'8", yep. right. 15-pound running back. He's one of four 1,000-yard rushers already this season in the Big 12. Uh, he's had five games in his last eight that he's gone over 100. Uh, on the, And he's been really good. His best games have actually been on the road. At Boise State, he went for 223 and 5 – or, pardon me, 220 – pardon me, 218 – 218 and two touchdowns. And at Texas, he went for 193 yards. uh, Had 113 last week against TCU. And one of their other running backs last week against TCU also broke 100. They had two 100-yard rushers last week. Um, so, So which Texas Tech run defense do you see on Saturday night? Do you see the run defense that is held Seven out of ten opponents under 100 yards, which they've done, or do you see the Tech run defense that is overmatched by um, by one of the top running backs in the Big 12? Which that was the case with when they faced Bijan Robinson in Texas, and that was the case when they faced Zach Evans in TCU. Uh, those two teams torched them. Uh, pretty much everybody else. Uh, Tech run defense has been really stout against. I mean, the, the numbers back it up. I mean, seven of the other – seven of the 10, he fell to under 100. And uh, Kansas – Kansas had 145, but, you know, that was with uh, guys who hardly ever play being mm-hmm. in the game at the end. Um, and maybe it'll be different this time because, uh, you know, those early games, particularly, you know, the game against Texas, game against TCU maybe – that was back when Keith Patterson was playing a whole lot of people. And after they got torched, he said that, uh, you know, he's probably uh, playing too many guys. And that's when he kind of boiled it down to, after that, keeping guys like Schooler and Rico Jeffers on the field more. And the run defense has kind of gone back to being reliable since then. So, do they stay reliable again on Saturday night or does Jalen Warren Go for a hundred for the sixth time in his last nine games. I think that's going to be, uh, you know, it's not it's not the it's not the sum total of who wins and loses Saturday night, but that's a big key. I mean, if you keep him in check, you got a shot to win. Uh, if he goes for one hundred and fifty or more, you are probably uh, you are you're probably going to be hurting. And again, and I think the other thing, uh, what we talked about a moment ago is, uh, you know you're probably, you may be facing, I think statistically you're probably facing the two best defenses in the Big 12 Mm -hmm. back-to-back. And Donovan Smith made it look pretty easy against Iowa State. Can he make it look as easy against Oklahoma State? Because statistically, the Cowboys are, I mean, they're way up there. They stop the run, they get after the passer, they sack. They, they, They cause disruption in the backfield, they have they have more sacks than anybody, and you know that that helps their pass defense because their pass defense is ranked number seventeen in the nation because they don't have to cover as long as as a lot of other teams do.
0: Yeah, well, it definitely should be an interesting football season, Don. I guess just to kind of switch uh, switch gears a little bit, unless you got something else from football. Uh, to
1: basketball. Let's go to basketball. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've talked uh, enough. Well, uh, I'll let you talk now. What's what what what's your early impression to the Red Mark Adams team?
0: Well, here's the thing, Don. Uh, They've got a couple wins, uh, three to be exact. And I think the one thing to kind of take away from the Texas Tech basketball team is that they have not had Terrence Shannon yet. And yet, despite that, they have three players that are in the top 11 in scoring in the Big 12, Bryson Williams, Kevin McCuller, and uh, Davion Warren, a transfer that Mark uh, Adams had really – touted his defense, but all of a sudden you kind of see how good he's been shooting the three point shot. And I think that's really kind of changed his game a little bit and kept him in the lineup. But my interest in this team now is with Terrence Shannon added to the mix. How does Mark Adams kind of, I guess, uh, mix him in or get the chemistry going because you obviously have to take someone out of that starting five. And I know Mark and every other coach will be like, yeah, it doesn't matter who starts it matters who finishes. I get that. But at some point you have to start five guys. And Terrence Shannon's going to be in there, which would mean that either Malik Wilson or Davion Warren is going to probably go to the bench. Not to say that it's a bad thing, because Davion Warren could be a nice spark plug, kind of like what Brandon Francis was several years ago, to where he could get some threes, get some defensive stops. He's been a charge guy, which is something that is uh, really made him uh, something that Mark Adams went as far as saying he would love to adopt him because he just takes so many charges every game. So I think that's something to look at. But um, the other thing to look at is Bryson Williams. He is everything that everyone thought of him from UTEP. He's a great scorer in the post. He's a great complimentary piece to Kevin O'Banner who can take some three pointers in the corner, which is something that happens when Bryson Williams does get a double team and Kevin O'Banner is able to get some space, and I think that's something else to kind of watch with this team. is just the spacing and the, and the ball movement. It's something that wasn't happening last year, and you see it a little bit more. But I think the other thing to to take uh, take away, and I asked Marka uh, this at our presser today. We're recording this on Thursday. Is just they've been showing a good emphasis of getting offensive rebounds, which is great. You get second chance opportunities. Bryson Williams gets some easy putbacks or Kevin O'Banner gets an easy putback or you get to the free throw line. That's all great. But now Mark has to find a balance because as he kind of mentioned, yeah, that's great. But now our transition defense is suffering because you got four guys going after the ball and maybe only one guy is back. So as of right now, it's great that they're doing that, but he has to find some sort of balance and maybe Terrence Shannon is that balance. Maybe you have Terrence Shannon and, Bryson Williams go after it and you got some other guys back, or maybe you got Terrence Shannon running back with the Kevin McCuller at times. But the one thing that I do like about this team is they are as advertised, as Mark Adams said, they are a defensive minded team in terms of you've got long arms. You got a lot of athleticism. You got some quick hands to where you can get deflections and it starts the offense in terms of the up-tempo factor that he talked about. It's a little up-tempo, but I think it's only up-tempo when they're able to get those deflections and really start the transition offense. As of right now, I think they're a very good half-court team when you are able to get the ball inside to a Bryson Williams or even a Kevin O'Banner, um, maybe on the short corner. Uh, Marcus Silva has kind of shown some, uh, some spurts in terms of being able to get his jump hook going. Um, I think it's a great uh, role for him to get off the bench and kind of come in when maybe – the opposing big is a little tired and he's able to get into the post a little bit more and work with his big body while Bryson Williams and Kevin O'Banner are certainly doing that. Kevin O'Banner stretching, the stretching the floor, Malik Wilson. And as I mentioned before, Debbie and Warren making the opposing defenses kind of stretch themselves out because they're finally showing the ability to make threes. I think once they start to do that, that's going to open up a lot more things for Texas tech. But as of right now, the big thing for for most teams that they've been doing are doubling in the post making sure that they don't get into the middle because once that happens, it seems like Kevin, Kevin McCuller, Kevin O'Banner, and probably Terrence Shannon at some point are going to be making some good decisions when they do get to the top of the paint and are able to see because they are tall. They are, you know, good basketball IQs as to, well, where's the open shot? Is it in the three? I can still take the ball in because I'm an aggressive player like Terrence Shannon, Kevin McCuller, get to the free throw line. Or if, Another uh, defender decides to come and double me. Someone's going to be open, and I think that's what I've been seeing at least from some of these other teams. But I don't know if I'm going to learn much other than Terrence Shannon is going to get a nice workout against Connecticut. Word, I think the the big the big stuff is going to happen once Texas Tech takes on you know Providence, Tennessee, Gonzaga. I think that start of December is going to be a very very telling telling deal for Texas tech in terms of where they're at, because Providence is going to be a tough one, especially when you are playing at Providence and then Tennessee being the the neutral side game. And then if you talk about a litmus test, I would be shocked if Gonzaga is not ranked number one, December 18th when they play them in Phoenix, Arizona. So that's kind of my thoughts on that. I mean, uh, obviously, you know, Mark as well Dot, but I, I think he's built a team in his image, not necessarily what maybe other people have been, Experiencing the last couple of years where maybe you get all these three star, four star, big star guys. He's getting a bunch of guys that just work well together and they play good defense and that's what they are. Sometimes they are going to struggle to get the, the, the shot going down when they're playing zone defenses. But the good thing for Mark is that he's got guys that can get offensive rebounds, can get those second chance points or that they can drive. And they've been able to do that. The one game where they played, I can't remember. I think it was the last game that they played against, um, Prairie View a and M. I I think they didn't shoot the ball very well at the free throw line because I believe against Grambling State, they were 20 for 29 or 22 for 29, if I'm not mistaken off the top of my head. But they shot very well from the free throw line, so that's going to certainly help you. It looks like they were uh, 20. Let's see here. Yeah, 22 for 29 against Grambling State, and then after that, didn't didn't shoot very well against Prairie Prairie View A and M, but the thing is, is these are teams that you're supposed to kind of fix the fix the weaknesses you have, which, as I mentioned before, it's offensive rebounding and getting back after that, or slowing the ball down when you do that. I think that's the thing that that will be something to watch if you're a fan of Texas Tech men's basketball.
1: They're going to South Padre Saturday to play Incarnate Word, as you said, and then. Yep. Uh, Back home on Thanksgiving week, Nebraska-Omaha on Tuesday night and uh, Lamar on Saturday and before they start the stretch. that As you kind of alluded to already, I think that folks are really looking forward to with December 1st being at Providence and then the Jimmy yeah, V. up in New York with the Tennessee game on December 7th and back home for an Arkansas State game on the 14th before they face Gonzaga. Uh, at noon on December 18th out in Phoenix. And uh, I guess Chris Beard had his chance with, with uh, Gonzaga, what, last week? And
0: Yeah, the, let, let me just tell you right now, Don, Gonzaga is a problem. Drew Timmy is everything he was when he was, uh, when he was recruited by Beard and every other coach in the country. And then Chet Holmgren is everything that you want out of a seven-footer. So they are going to be a problem for any team to place them this year.
1: And sure, Timmy, he has family members that went to Tech, if I remember right.
0: Ah, uh, you might be right. I'm pretty sure that was the 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 tie that they were trying to get with Texas Tech, is obviously, yeah. you, you know. But well, that's a, that was a guy, a big guy to miss out on. It was, but here's the thing: is like you kind of you try and find other guys, right? You know. Yep. But yeah, no, certainly a, a good good year, at least starting for Mark Adams in his first year, and I think. Uh, If you're a fan, I think the one thing to kind of watch is they're going to play defense. You're going to get a lot of these lower scoring games once he trims the rotation. He had mentioned that when I asked him today is right now about the time you want to get to your seven to nine guys that you want to trust, you know, that you can kind of bring in, bring out. And I think he he alluded that. And uh, now that you potentially have a fully healthy squad with Terrence Shannon now cleared uh, to play immediately and Clarence Nadoli back from hip surgery. From what I understand, he's going to probably play this weekend. So you're going to have a lot of your complimentary guys and just starters that you can say, okay, these are the guys we're going to go to go to battle with with some of these other teams and let's see what we got. And I think right now, if I had to guess, you got Kevin McCuller, Terrence Shannon. If I again, this is a total guess Malik Wilson, Kevin O'Banner, Bryson Williams. That's probably your starting five. For those well, that care no, about that.
1: Why not uh, – you know, I was looking – just double-checking my memory, looking back a moment ago, but Terrence Shannon last year, 28 games, 13 games started. And
0: why not just keep bringing him off the bench? Well, here's the thing is that 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 was a situation where I believe um, – I can't remember which player was a he, I guess, deferred to. But there was someone that he deferred that starting spot. It might have been Marcus Santos Silva. I I, I don't want to speak wrong, which I already did at this point, because I don't want to. But I know that was a situation where it might have been Mac McClung, too. One of those two. But I know there was a situation where, and again, this is just Chris Beard and amassing all his talent and just trying to figure stuff out. He was able to get Terrence Shannon to defer I would be absolutely shocked if Terrence Shannon defers this year, especially when he knows this is a NBA year. Yeah, And again, Terrence is a great guy, humble, all this other stuff, but there are some other factors here to kind of keep in mind. And I would be absolutely, I mean, he's a gamer. He's going to want to start. And again, I understand the, it doesn't matter who starts starting lineup. I'm just saying these are the guys that can start for you, but they have other guys that can come in and, Easily play just as well as a Terrence Shannon or some of these other guys. The post post play is going to be interesting when you get after uh, O'Banner and Williams, but Marcus Santos Silva is a great reserve. Daniel Batcho, I don't know if he's necessarily going to get too many minutes. I think you're going to have that three-man rotation with Marcus, probably playing like a Norton Zodiasse role uh, to where you get maybe 15 minutes out of him, get a couple fouls, or you know he just kind of does his work where Bryson Williams and Kevin O'Banner are going to be your your minute, your minute guys, if you will, like they're going to get the big minutes. Whereas Marcus can can do that as well and certainly be efficient. And I think that's the thing that Mark's trying to figure out right now. It's just all all the guys, you have a lot of talent. you got a lot of guys that can do certain things, shoot threes, steal the ball like a Malik Wilson or a Davion Warren. But how do you mesh them together? And I think that's going to be the interesting thing. But based on what I see from that starting lineup, if I do see Malik Wilson on as a starter compared to Davion Warren. The only reason I say he would is because he is, if I'm not mistaken, he's got 15 assists to one turnover so far. He was a point guard before Texas Tech was looking for a point guard. Kevin McCullough was looking to be that guy. Nothing wrong with having two potential point guards with the Kevin McCuller and Malik Wilson out there. And then if you bring in Davion Warren, it could be a, a spark on that second second team. Kind of like what Taron Shannon was, as you alluded to, Don. There's nothing wrong with that, because if you have Davion Warren there or if you have Terrence Shannon there, I think he could be good, but I think Davion's going to probably be the guy that comes off the bench and really provides that spark, kind of like what Terrence Shannon did, and that certainly helped Texas Tech last year.
1: Yeah. Well, what else tonight, Carlos? Say what? What else tonight?
0: Well, probably nothing. I I know people are probably wondering where the heck we were. Well, uh, we were trying to figure out a coaching change. And then uh, you and I just didn't feel like doing stuff late at night, so. Well, we got we got we got very busy. <laughs> yeah, so, got very busy. So, so so yeah, for for those that are probably when you said our weekly podcast, it does happen weekly. It's just sometimes we get busy. It happens weekly most weeks. Yes, we get busy, but we do end up doing them, or I try to do some sort of player talk to them for three minutes just to appease the people that ask. So. Hopefully that at least answered some of the questions that most people had or just wanted your thoughts because I th- that was the reason I wanted to do this, done because I thought it was a very I, I don't even know how to describe it because historic's not right, but just a monumental victory. I don't know if it's a a, a victory that maybe is again like you, you know said,
1: you know what I, I, think I, I think I think I think I like your uh, first adjective more than your second. I think it was more of a uh, Of a historic victory than a monumental victory. Historic because the 62 yard field goal. I'm not sure I call it monumental. Just because Iowa State is six and three now they're six and four, and and really Iowa State is, in my mind, the most disappointing team in the Big Twelve this year. Even more so than Texas. It's because to me there's no Iowa State should be a ten win team this year. I mean it's the same guys that we've been talking about for the last two three years. It's Purdy and and. And Brees Hall and Rose on defense yeah. and uh, Washington and Greg and Eisworth Greg at safety. And yeah. I mean, it's, Charlie Collar. It's, and Charlie Collar tied in. Yes. How could I forget him? I mean, yeah. it's the same key component guys that they've had. And you thought, okay, 20, 2021, this is these guys' year. They should be playing the Big 12 championship game. Yeah. And it, didn't, it hadn't happened for them. So, yeah. so uh, Saturday is more of a historic victory for Texas and a monumental victory. Well, I. I, I I guess. Although it could be, although again, it could change the trajectory of the program. If, and
0: that's where I was going to go with my asterisks is, is just if things change and turn, you could look at this game and say, this is where it all turned. And that was right. the mental part. But I, yeah. absolutely, I agree with you on the historic part for the 62 yard field goal. Only one other kicker, and my girlfriend reminds me, has made a longer kick Kansas State's Martin Gramatica. So in the Big 12, yeah. Yes, in the Big 12. And that's only because she went to Kansas State and she was happy that that happened.
1: Although, you know, the thing about it is back in the 70s when I was a kid, I think kickers could kick off one-inch tees and they could use their own football. That's true. uh, Field goals back then were incredible. Russell Erksleben from Texas hit a 67-yarder. Steve Little from Arkansas hit a 67-yarder. Tony Franklin from Texas A&M, I think, hit some from 60-plus. And – Abilene Christian University's OV Johansson made a 69 yard field goal. Also back in the seventies. I remember the afternoon that happened. You know, I think talking, I think you're hearing I'm talking about it like on the Prudential College scoreboard on ABC. OV Johansson from Abilene Christian University has made a 69 yard field goal. Uh, those, those were the days. Little different game right now.
0: Yeah. Just a little bit, but as we all talked about with the replays and stuff, as we kind of, you know, close this off and bring things together, things have changed, but uh, if you're a Texas Tech fan, hopefully things change after that victory last weekend against Iowa State. We'll see how things change when uh, Texas Tech takes on Oklahoma State at 7 p.m. Saturday at Jones AT&T Stadium. Don will be there. I will actually be there this time. Wasn't there last weekend? I'm kind of sad about that, but certainly it was a cool game. Well, that'll wrap
1: it up then. Uh, again, 7 p.m. Saturday at Jones AT&T Stadium, Texas Tech against Oklahoma State. Number nine, Oklahoma State. Senior night for the Red Raiders. And uh, last home game, next to last regular season game for a bold bound team. For uh, A.J. Media Sports Editor, Carlos Silva, Jr., I'm Don Williams. A.J. Media, Texas Tech football beat writer. Thanks for listening this evening. We'll talk to you again soon.